Welcome to the pulpit ministry of Christ Community Church in South Florida, aiming to make, mature, and multiply disciples by preaching and teaching God's Word based on the sufficiency of Scripture. And now, let's join our preacher for the message. So here we are uh, in the book of Luke, um, and just, you know, to share with you that this is actually a sermon that I've preached before 10 years ago in July of 2012. But I think it's appropriate for where we are, and it's actually the very first time in my life that I preached the same sermon again. But I do, it's funny because 10 years later, CCC then and CCC now and just the family that we have, it's different. You know, it's, things have changed. It's a different time in our lives. But we're going to take a little bit of a ride through Luke before we actually get into the meat of this, if you don't mind, to provide some context because we're jumping out of Mark and we're, not, we're jumping out of the summer series. So I just want you to, to meditate on the word and, and get into it so that we see how we get to this place where we're at in verse 31. So if you don't mind, we're going to go to the top of Luke 22 and we're going to ask the Lord to bless our time. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for the body of Christ. Lord, when it gathers together, Lord, you said you are there with us, Lord, and your presence is with us, Lord, that all of these individuals here who are in Christ are temples of the Holy Spirit, and when we gather, we gather in the Holy Spirit's power. So we thank you, Lord, because it's you who's given us that gift, Father God. It's you who has blessed us with this love that we have for one another, Lord, uh, that when we see one another again, Lord, reunions are sweet, Father God. We just thank you, Lord, to bless your name. And we pray for your blessing over your word, Lord God. Um, may the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth, Lord, be pleasing to you, Father God, as Pastor Bernie always prays, Lord God. And may we be edified, Lord, mutually with one another, Lord, as we spend time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So it says, now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Him, of course, is Jesus. Verse 3, then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was one of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad. That really stuck out this morning. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him in the absence of a crowd. How cowardly I thought this morning as I was meditating on this, Judas is. Then the day of unleavened bread, then came the day of unleavened bread, that opportunity that he was seeking, it came. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the masters of the house, The teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, which is amazing, just the detail that the Lord gave them. 
And the hour came, and he reclined at table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired, make note of that word desired, to eat the Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after that he had eaten, saying, This is the cup that is poured out for you. It's the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. As it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which one of them it could be who was going to do this. As a dispute also arose among them as to which one would be regarded as the greatest. And he said to, he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. Some of you might read, asked to have you. That he might sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times. Do you deny three times that you know me? Simon, Simon, behold. Pay attention. Look. We've talked about this word, behold. Lo, Simon, Simon. In the midst of the Passover, it's like Jesus is taking him to the side and saying, Simon, Simon, behold, and he's going to give him the news, right? Satan has asked for you in the New King James Version. I still have it that way on this because that's what we used to use in the day, back in the day 10 years ago, that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. The adversary, which is what Satan means, has desired or demanded. This word asked or desired or demanded in this in the word appears one time in the New Testament, right here. Because it's not just a regular desire, it's a demanding desire that Satan, the adversary, is making. The scene is reminiscent of Job chapter 1. So Satan, in verse 9, answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? 
Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now listen to Peter's talk about the adversary in his epistle, in 1 Peter 5, verse 8. I wonder if this is the lesson that Peter learned starting here. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Here in Luke, Satan, he, uh, he thinks he's going to accomplish something. He's demanding. He's asking. I mean, think about the context. Some, one of the disciples, one of the 12, just got taken over by Satan. He's already got one of them. Maybe he can get more. He's saying, like, bring on the rest. Let's see if they stand or they fall. The lion is on the hunt. The crazy part is that the bell has rung for the fight of all fights, the battle of all battle, bigger than the rumble in the, dumb, in the jungle, bigger than that, the fight of all fights that was told about in Genesis between the serpent and the seed of Eve, that fight is going down right now. And what are the brothers doing? They're fighting about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. They are not focused Hence, Simon, Simon, behold, lo, wake up. Indeed, the adversary has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. So here's my, this is the JLQ. It's not the NLT or the NIV. This is the JLQ. Simon, Simon. Simon, Satan has asked the father to let him pick you up and thrash you upon the floor until you are dismembered so that he can then toss the leftover mess into the air and let the pulverized parts of you be carried away in the wind. Where's my, where's my, where's my thrashing picture? That's what he's asking for. You know, when, when we talk about sift, you know, we're, we're not agricultural people. I mean, we do sifting in a little can like this. You know, it's like, you know, we sift flour. But they're out there sifting the wheat, separating the chaff from the actual usable parts, right? And so this is what is being requested. I want to take him and beat him down until all the, all the junky parts break off of him and I we cast him up into the air and see what's left over. That's what he's saying with the word sift, right? That's the picture that Peter's receiving. You might have thought, oh, sifting, not too bad. Peter's getting the picture clear because that's his time frame. That's where he's living. Some of you may be thinking, poor Peter. Or maybe you're thinking, I'm glad it's not me. But we've got to take a, a deeper look into the words here. So it says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan, right, is asked or has demanded to sift you. 
The problem with the you here is that the you is not Peter. The you here is you all. It's plural in the Greek. It's not the you, that's me, it's the you all. So when he's telling Peter, Satan's desire to sift you, most of us are thinking, oh, that's Peter's problem. No, no, no. All, all 11 of you that are left, he's coming after all of you. He wants all of you. The second you in there is, which is found in verse 32, is the single form of the word, which is sue. The King James offers a clearer rendering of these, you know, because King James uses that older English language. So here's how it would read. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prepared, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith may not fail. And when thou art converted. So you see how it reads and you feel the difference? The you is all y'all. And the thee and the thy is Peter. Peter is not the only one who's about to be sifted, actually. All the disciples are going to get it. The, the, the sifting is for all of them. So this passage of Scripture could easily read, Satan has desired to have you, Christ Community Church, that he may sift you as wheat. It's a privilege to be sifted for the glory of Christ. I heard one amen. It's a privilege to be sifted for the glory of Christ. Amen. We got some sifting going on. Did y'all know that there's people being sifted in our church right now? There's people who are being sifted right now in our church. Listen to Peter's words out of his epistle, 1 Peter, chapter 2. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it and you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered. For this you have been called. We all like to talk about the call that came to save, but with that call came a call. Did you know this? A call to suffer. Because if Christ suffered and you're his follower, this is, comes with the call. He didn't hide it. If the master went down the path, why would not the disciples go down the same? So he left it to us as an example that we might follow in his steps. Chapter 4, 12 through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while they are doing good. And then 1 Peter 5 kind of gives you the perspective. After you have suffered a little while, 
after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you into his eternal, see the contrast there? After you have suffered a little while, this life is but a vapor. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will, re will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So here's some things for us to pray as we suffer. Yeah, here's some things that we can pray for those who are suffering even in our midst, who are in the sifter right now, who are being sifted. Pray that they and that you suffer well. Pray to endure suffering. Pray for God to be glorified. Give thanks and consider it a privilege. Note I did not say pray for the end of the suffering. I kind of did that on purpose because we can't stand to see the people that we love suffer. And that's good and right. And oftentimes we want the suffering to end as quickly as possible but God has work to accomplish and do in it. Work that we don't even know. Nor can we understand. The second point is you will be sifted as wheat, but God. You will be sifted as wheat, but God. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I... But I have prayed for you that your faith should remain and not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Sometimes when we are being sifted, we forget who is praying for us. In the Young's literature, it says, I besought, instead of I prayed, besought, like non Ending, ceaseless praying for you. This is supplication the Lord is making. Simon, you are going to be sifted, but I, the anointed one, the word, the son of God, the line of Judah, the alpha and the omega, I have prayed for you. And that is still true for us today because the sifting is for all y'all, right? Hebrews 7.24 says, But he, Jesus, because he continues forever as an unchangeable priesthood, therefore he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He always lives to make intercession for them. That is what he lives for, always to make intercession for them. So maybe you are in the sifting now. If so, take that verse, Hebrews 7, 30, 24, and memorize it. Eat it up every day. Put it on your phone. Make it the screensaver on your phone or the background on your cell phone because God knows we look at that more than anything else these days. He always lives to make intercession for them. So if you're not being sifted now, maybe you've just finished being sifted, or maybe the sifting is coming. I don't know where you are. 
A year ago, about this time, I was being sifted in the hospital. This year, Pastor Bernie's got COVID. Thank God he's not in the hospital. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. But we all go through sifting at different times. John Burnett is being sifted. He's in the hospital now. So we are either, like they say, either you're in a trial, going into a trial, or coming out of a trial. It's the same kind of concept. We are being sifted at all times. Someone among us. Sometimes when we are being sifted, we forget whose sovereign hand we are in. John 10, 27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Sometimes when you're in the midst of the sifting, you're kind of questioning, what's up here, God? I mean, I, I thought this was supposed to be, you know, my best life now. You know, I, I thought, you know, once I gave my life to Jesus, everything was going to be good. There weren't going to be any trials. There wasn't going to be any cancer. There weren't going to be any deaths in my family. It was just going to be good. But it doesn't matter because we know who holds us. And it, it does us good to remember we are held in the hands of our sovereign Father. Sometimes when we are being sifted, we forget that God is at work. And I wish it was easier for us, but Lord knows we are just as stiff-necked as the Israelites were. We kind of read the Old Testament times, we kind of judge them, my gosh, 40 years in the wilderness, what took them so long, blah, blah. How long have you been walking with the Lord? You got it all down? You're following Jesus every day? You're, you, you know, you're doing things the way the Lord wants you to do it? You're, you're, you're okay with him all the time? You're just easy-peasy? Your spirit's good? You never mad, you're never greedy, selfish. No, it's not true. The Lord said that he would begin a good work in us, right? He said that he would conform us to the image of Christ. None of this is hidden. It's, it's in the scripture. We, we go through these trials because God is at work. James 1, of course, right? Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work. Again, New King James, you guys can, we can debate about that later. Must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. Sometimes when we are being sifted, we forget that he knows the beginning and the end. Listen to the Lord's words. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not, good, you're asleep, that your faith should not fail, okay? And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brother. Not if, but when. The Lord knows the beginning and he knows the end. He's praying and he already knows what Peter's going to be used for, how he's going to use him. There's comfort in that. Because sometimes when you're in the trial, you're not, you're, you can't see when it's going to end. You can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. 
You might not see it for a couple of months. You might not see it for a couple of years. But the Lord says, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. 2 Corinthians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. If you've never been through a trial, typically the words of comfort that you offer people who are going through a trial are very elementary. They're very childish. They lack wisdom. They lack understanding. They lack comfort. Because it's when we go through these trials and these difficulties in life that God molds us and shapes us and that he teaches us about his comfort so that we can tell others, you will be comforted. I will pray for your comfort. God comforted me. God carried me through this time by his grace and by his strength. I could not have made it without him. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Turn your eyes to him. Those are things that come, lessons that are learned through going through sifting. Jesus was not surprised by Peter's failure. Jesus was not surprised by Peter's failure. Sometimes we act like Jesus is surprised that we failed. Talk to people, talk to brothers, I'm like, I can't believe I failed Jesus. He's praying for you. He knew you were going to fail. He's not surprised. He's the sovereign Lord who sustains us by his grace and not our merit. And this is the hard part to remember. Because in the midst of that sifting comes pain, comes sorrow, and we can be overwhelmed and overcome by those for a bit, as was Peter. Remember when Peter denies the Lord, he turns and sees Jesus after he's betrayed him. Think about how difficult and painful that must have been for him. You will be sifted as wheat, so trust in him and not yourself. That's the third point for today. You will be sifted as wheat. Guaranteed. So trust in him and not yourself. Check out verse 33. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go. Isn't, doesn't that sound like us? I got this. I'm ready. I'm going to armor up. I'm going to get in the word. You know, I'm ready. I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And then Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times, that that you will deny three times that you know me. See, when we are 
focused on what we can do and what we can, we can accomplish, we end up falling. Now, don't get me wrong, Peter cuts the ear off of Malchus. Peter follows at a distance after Jesus is arrested while the other disciples scatter. It is Peter who answered Jesus' question, who do you say I am? And said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter loves the Lord. Peter is just weak like the rest of us and in need of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as as common to man. But God is faithful. God is faithful, amen? Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Check out what this, check out what this brother William Hendrickson said about the rooster crow point one is going to be everybody knows point two is the one that you got to listen to the reference to the crowing rooster does double duty one it indicates the shallow character of simon's boast simon's boasting here within just a few hours yes even before don peter will publicly disown his master yet number two this very rooster crowing will also serve as a means of bringing Peter back to repentance. For Christ's reference to it becomes firmly embedded in the disciples' minds so that at the appropriate moment, this hidden memory will suddenly pull the rope that will ring the bell of Peter's conscience. What grace of God, what mercy of the Lord to let him know so that when it occurred, he would know what he'd done and there would be opportunity to repent. This is Peter. Man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. So Jesus not only warned Peter, but he gave him the key that would open the door to his repentance. Does not the Lord do that to us all the time throughout Scripture, constantly warning us ahead of schedule so that when that day and that moment comes, we know which way to turn? Sometimes... We are surprised when we falter and when others falter. Think about that. Sometimes we are surprised when we falter and when other, others falter. And too many times we're surprised by that. And at some point, if we are surprised when others falter, we have lifted them up to a level that we have forgotten who they are. We have put them, we have deified them. God is not surprised. God knows that we need some brokenness. God knows that we need some humble pie. Humble pie does not taste good. 
Humble pie is not fun to eat. But if it's being served to you, you do well to eat it as quickly and as soon as you can because you're going to eat it. Either they're going to shove the spoon down your throat or you're going to pick it up and eat it yourself. That's when you start figuring out where you're going in the trial. Because the road to the end of the trial could be your humiliation, your humility in receiving the humble pie. Listen to these words from a song we're going to sing together now to close our time. When it comes to trials and being, uh, going through difficulty, even in the book of Hebrews, we have the, the, the oh goodness gracious, COVID brain just hit me. Um, we have the history of those who walked by faith. We call it the Hall of Fame of Faith, right? And it's following chapter 11, after we've heard by faith, by faith, by faith, that the Lord says, or that Hebrews says to us, to put our eyes on the Lord Jesus, the author and the finisher and the perfecter of our faith. Because at, at, at some point, Peter took his eyes off the Lord. When Peter saw what was going down, he, he was full of fear. He stopped believing all that he had seen before that, that the Lord had done. He had forgot all the miracles. He forgot that he calmed the sea. He forgot all these things, that he raised dead people. And all he could see was his own mortality before his eyes. And he did what most of us would do, which is to protect ourselves. So this is, these are the words to this hymn. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And we've sung this. You guys know these words, right? I dare not trust. The sweetest frame. And most people probably like, what in the world? Frame, the frame on the screen door? What's the frame? Frame of a picture? I don't trust nobody's frame. No other frame do I trust. No other outline of any other person, any other being, any other thing do I trust. But wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. We will be sifted because we have an adversary. But we will be sifted in the Father's sovereign hand. There in his hand we can stand and nothing, not even the devil, can snatch us from it. I have a picture when I first preached this sermon from 10 years ago. It's the last slide. They were the beginning of the sermon. If some of you don't know who this family is, this is the Ruiz family. And that's Louis, Yami, Yesenia, and Louis Sr. And these people, they were sifted. They went through the sifting. And yes, he's, I mean, Yesenia, uh, Yami is with the Lord now. She went to home to be with the Lord last year after a humongous fight and battle with cancer that lasted years, thankfully. I was so happy in some ways to see this picture because I knew it had been 10 years since I had preached a sermon and nine years that the Lord had added to her life when I preached it. 
by his grace and for his purpose and glory and for his namesake. And then he called her home. And we don't always know where the sifting is going to lead. But in all things, I mean, just in ourselves, because ultimately the sifting leads to the glory of God. That's another part that if we would take time to realize it when we're in it, that this is for God's glory, that he wants to be glorified in us and through us and through the suffering that we're going through. He wants to be glorified. We talk about the very first question that we've studied on Tuesday nights, what is the primary purpose of man? And everyone will answer, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Well, the forever is going to come when we're done here. And the glorifying is happening here right now. And he chooses to glorify himself in weakness so that much can be made of him. Because if it's on your own strength and you can get to the, the top of the uh, you know, first place all on your own by all your strength and all your exercising and, and training, God bless you. But God is not necessarily that glorified in that. Be it that he provides you the strength and the focus and the determination, but he is glorified in brokenness. So I would encourage you all, you know, Tuesday night, I mean, Thursday night we had a really wonderful prayer meeting. And you can tell when somebody in the body is hurting because everybody shows up to the prayer meeting. Not everybody, but a lot more people than usual. Like, like the prayer meeting you, uh, screen was full of people because the word went out. John Burnett has a five-inch tumor in his esophagus. What do the people of God do? We got to pray. But the truth is we're really there all the time in need of prayer. It's okay. Those times come and they, and they remind us that we need to pray because Honestly, we're like the disciples. Jesus in the garden, he's over there bleeding tears, uh, sweating tears, and, and the disciples are falling asleep. That's us. But that was a reminder this week that we need to pray. And I would like to encourage you all, we constantly are encouraging you to join the prayer meeting. Can any of you tell me how many times a week you separate and, 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 and set apart one hour hour non-stop to pray because I, I mean i know we're holy people i know we all got our spiritual lives in order i know all of us spend an hour every week in prayer i know that right no probably not but here's an opportunity to pray i don't like doing it on zoom We're going to get together to pray. We have the opportunity. God has provided a means for people to connect and cry out to him. I don't like it on Zoom. I like it in person. You know what? If we did it in person, people would find a reason not to come. And I'm not trying to guilt trip you. My kids will be like, you're guilt tripping me. I'm not trying to guilt trip anybody. I'm just trying to wake you up to the reality we are in need of prayer. 
if we have gone through two and a half years of all this craziness and we are still headed into more crazy, when are we going to gather to pray? When somebody gets martyred, is that when we're finally going to say, oh, we need to pray. Oh, yeah. We need to cry out to God. We need to gather together and pray. I mean, that's what happened to the, the brothers and sisters in Acts. You read the book of Acts, pray, 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 pray. They're always praying. Why? Because they're under the thick of it. Y'all, we are headed into the thick of it, and most of us are on the phone. Most of us, we, all, we can spend an hour on Netflix every day. We can spend an hour on Netflix every Thursday, but we can't spend one hour to pray on Thursday with the rest of the body of Christ. I'm, again, not trying to guilt trip you, but hello, this nation is headed to hell in a handbag. Have you not noticed that everything is in rebellion to God around us? When are we going to gather to pray? You got something better to do on Thursday? Sometimes I don't want to be in the prayer meeting either. Confession. Sometimes I don't want to pray. And then God, by his grace, you stupid idiot, you see how great that was to be together with the people? Oh, that was a wonderful prayer time meeting. Yeah, it happens every Thursday. We are prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. If you ain't there, if you don't know that, wake up to reality, because that is the reality, people. But it's afforded to you, it's afforded to all of us, to pray and to intercede for one another. Christ is always interceding. That is the example he's given to us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for... For you, because you always live to intercede for us, Lord, that though we may falter on one another in praying and interceding for, for one another, Lord, you do not. Oh, thank you, Lord, for being a constant example of prayer, a constant call to praying. Thank you, Lord, for being faithful to pray for me, for my brothers and sisters who are being sifted all of us, Lord, thank you for your faithfulness, Jesus. Now help us, Lord, to be faithful. Even if it comes through sifting. That we would learn to pray and to seek your face as a church. Because we are in need of you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Christ Community Church is a God-glorifying, Christ-exalting, and Bible-centered body of believers who love God and love people by making disciples of Jesus Christ. For more information on us and to learn how to give towards our media ministry, please go to our website at www.christcomchurch.org. That's christcomchurchcom.org. And look for the Giving tab at the top of the homepage.